The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good evening. Um, so, uh, how's the volume? Is that is that okay? No, loud. Me. Ah, uh, how about that? Is that better? Talk a little more. So, for the next three weeks, uh, I I'm going to talk about uh, the question of the self in in Buddhist practice, self and not self. Is it, volume is okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so the question of the self, uh, this is uh, sometimes considered uh, one of the more, of, of the chal- more challenging of, of the Buddha's teachings. Um, so, so what did the Buddha teach about uh, the self? And not self, and and why does it matter? You know, what is the relevance of it for our practice? Um, in a way, um, to approach the question of the self, it can be a little bit daunting. It's daunting for me. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's this vast word, this vast question, and. Uh, You know, it's a little bit like the word God. Um, psychology, science, uh, religion uh, have all weighed in on this question. You know, what is the self? Uh, where is the self? Uh, what is the nature of the self? Um, it, it reminds me of, of a story. Uh, a friend of mine, his... His, uh, his sister is a Catholic nun. And, uh, and one day, she went up to him and she, she, she kind of demanded to know. She said, uh, do you believe in God? And he said, um, uh, tell me what you mean by God and I'll tell you if I believe it. So I think the self, in a way, is a little bit like that. Uh, so what I would like to do is walk through a step-by-step, one way of approaching this question, one way of understanding um, and working with the question of self uh, that I hope can be uh, very, very practical uh, to our meditation practice. And so this practical approach takes its cues from the Buddha, who, by all accounts, uh, saw himself uh, not as a philosopher, um, who was kind of musing on abstract questions, metaphysical questions, uh, but more like a medical doctor. Um, And what he was addressing was this disease of suffering, this very practical question of how we suffer and how we can uh, come to the end of our suffering. So I guess this is the, one of the first things uh, that I would like to say about this topic is that 
um, the Buddha centered his teaching not on the question of self or not self, um, but on the question of suffering and not suffering. So, you know, this important distinction. Um, some, sometimes I, I think there can be a, mis, a, a misconception that the Buddha taught that there's no self. And um, that's actually not, uh, that's not in the recorded teachings of the Buddha. Um, in, in all of the Pali Canon and all of the recorded teachings of the Buddha, there's one, there's one encounter where, where the Buddha's asked point blank, um, is there a self? And uh, he doesn't answer. Or, <laughs> or sorry, his answer is silence. He was asked, is there no self? Silence. And the way I understand this is that the question of whether there is a self or isn't a self is somewhat irrelevant uh, to the project, this project of understanding suffering and letting go of suffering. And I think that's good news to most of us because um, I think many of us come to this practice because of the question of suffering. Uh, there's some stress, some suffering in our life, uh, something we want to understand. Um, something about the way things are uh, doesn't, doesn't feel like enough or doesn't, doesn't feel quite right. So the way into the question of self is through the question of suffering. So although the, the Buddha didn't teach that there is no self, what he did teach uh, quite a lot is uh, anatta, which is properly translated as not-self. Uh, so what's the difference between no-self and not-self? Um, I mean, the way I would say it is, in a nutshell, um, the teaching of anatta states that, that in this body and mind, in, in, in the psychophysical self, anything that we can perceive, that we can see, that we can notice, uh, any, anything at all is not self, is not to be taken as a self. Uh, so not our body, sensations, not our feelings, not our thinking, this kind of the stories we, we think, we tell about ourselves. Um, if we really look, you know, and, and this is what the Buddha is proposing, if we really look, uh, we will not be able to find an abiding, separate, uh, permanent something that we can call a self. And, you know, this is not to say that having a healthy sense of self is not important, you know, because of course it is. 
um, you know, we have some agency. We have control over how we act. And, and there is an important role, you know, a psychological role uh, for having this, a groundedness, a sense of relatedness, uh, you know, so that stability, the integrity, uh, you know, so a sense of responsibility, of course. Um, but there's also a lot about ourselves that we can't control. Uh, we can't stop our bodies from aging, for example. We can't even stop our thoughts, um, as you've probably <laughs> noticed, uh, you know, maybe a little bit temporarily. Um, so what I think this, this teaching of not-self is pointing to is that fundamentally uh, we're not separate from the rest of nature. We're not separate from the rest of the universe. Uh, so when we look, when we try to look for a separate self, um, in our human experience, in this body and mind, uh, we can't find it. It's not, it's not findable. Um, and so this is all well and good. You know, it's nice to say, but, but most of us uh, don't experience our lives like that most of the time. I mean, I, I certainly don't. Um, you know, I would go so far as to say the most real thing in the world to me is, is me. Um, you know, my body, my thoughts, um, my desires, my fears, my problems. Uh, me, 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 me. Usually, uh, what we take as a self is at the center of the world, you know, at the center of the universe to us. Um, and, and here is what I think is one of the fundamental points about this topic. It's like, so the Buddha says that, um, so if all things are impermanent and all things are not self, uh, anatta, uh, when we identify with something, uh, you know, some transient, impermanent thing, and we identify with it, and call that myself, call that me, uh, that will bring suffering. You know, so all things are impermanent, things are not self. When we identify with them, uh, it, it brings suffering, it creates suffering. And so, you know, so in this way, um, according to according to Buddhism, um, the sense of self, the sense of I am, you know, any sense of of me, of mine, of possessiveness, uh, in its form, is inextricably uh, tied up with suffering. It's interwoven with suffering. And so the suggestion here is that the self is not something that exists independently. It's not something that exists from its own side, separately um, or permanently, but rather uh, the self is an activity. Um, it comes into being when we identify with things and think of them as myself. 
Um, sometimes this is called self-clinging. Uh, another word that's kind of popular in the Buddhist uh, scene is selfing. You know, so you know, selfing is something that we do rather than something that we have. And I think a big shift in our practice can come uh, when we start to somewhat question the sense of self. You know, somewhat question the sense that I'm in here. I'm looking out into the world, and you're all out there. Everything else is out there. Um, and rather, rather than being the subject, the self becomes the object of meditation. The self becomes what we look at, what we study, um, how we make a self. Uh, how do we do this activity? You know, so something about this shift. Um, this shift in practice, in meditation practice, is so key that... Um, in Zen, they say, uh, to study Buddhism means to study the self. Um, there, isn't, there isn't a Buddhism. There isn't some Buddhism that exists out there. Um, when we study Buddhism, when we meditate, um, we're, we're looking at how we make the self, this activity of, of making a self. Uh, so something about it it, and it, it's not to say that the point of practice is to get rid of that sense of self, you know, or to uh, somehow eliminate it, to make it go away. The point of practice is to see something about the self, to understand something about this process of selfing. So how do we build this self? How does this process uh, come into being? Um, I, think, I think what the Buddha suggests is that the sense of self gets built, gets constructed through clinging. Um, you know, it's like when there is grasping or clinging in the mind, um, the sense, that is the condition uh, for the sense of self to arise. Um, I mean, so, so, so one way that I think about it is that this clinging is a form of contraction. Um, you know, it's like a contracted perspective. Uh, the self is a point of contraction. You know, as we meditate, uh, we start to slow down and we become more still, more quiet. Um, and we can sometimes feel this contraction. You know, we can feel the self-clinging. Uh, and it can be painful. It can sometimes be painful. Um, it's like uh, this, this selfing, or the self-referencing. Uh, we can think about it as like an extra layer on top of our experience. Um, you know, it's something that just gets in the way. Uh, you know, if you've ever had to uh, perform something or, you know, play a sport, and then if you start to become self-conscious about it, it's like almost like you can't do what, what your body knows how to do. Um, 
another big area of, of where we self is in, in relation to other people. You know, it's how people see me. Um, sometimes I think of this as the Facebook effect, the Facebook self. You know, it's like um, how we present ourselves to others, how we construct this self um, that we identify with. Um, I, I'm not trying to pick on Facebook, but you know, I, I, I see it a little bit as like a petri dish for <laughs> this kind of this, you know, uh, th- this kind of selfing. You know, it's it's a little bit of a breeding ground. At least it feels that way to me. And um, one of the things I often ask myself when I interact with something like Facebook is, why do I why do I do what I do? That. You know, what's my intention? Um, you know, and often, if I think about it, it's to kind of present myself in a certain way or, you know, have some self-image. You know, and there's suffering around this. So it's, it's said that there are three specific forms of self-clinging, uh, three specific ways that... Um, that we typically do this, this process. Uh, the first is this process of making something mine. You know, so it's like possessiveness, um, any form of possession. Um, you know, this is a really rich area of, of exploration, uh, especially among us living here in the West. It's like, I feel like in a way that our culture tells us that the more possessions you have, the happier you'll be. And in a way, this is, is, is challenging that a little bit. You know, it's like, so we can feel possessive about stuff. We can feel, possess- we can feel possessive about anything. Um, you know, one of the examples that Gil often uses is, uh, you know, how would you feel if when you leave here tonight, you see someone else walking out with your shoes. <laughs> you know, shoes wouldn't mind, uh, but we might mind. And, uh, you know, anything, anything. It could be something as, as simple as my cushion. You know, I get up to go to the bathroom when I come back, someone's sitting in my cushion. That's my cushion. Um, we can be, you know, possessive about people. Uh, my children, uh, you know, so on and so on. Uh, so the second, the second, the second uh, uh, form of self-clinging that's talked about is uh, the comparing mind, uh, which is also called conceit. You know, this is the mind that compares. Uh, it's either. Uh, I'm, I'm better than, uh, I'm better than you, I'm worse than you, or I'm equal to you. Any kind of comparing, any kind of measuring, um, this is said to be a form of, of self-clinging, a form of suffering. Um, and this is, this is a big area where I think uh, a lot of us suffer. Uh, I notice this in myself uh, last week, I was up at Spirit Rock for a teacher training session. 
And there's something about being around your peers, at least for me. You know, I walked into the room and I thought, wow. You know, or someone's talked and I said, wow, he's really good. Or, you know, or the, other, or the opposite, you know. <laughs> They're not so good. Um, <laughs> I could say better than him. But, you know, and this is just, this is, this is suffering. Um, uh, something about this. So defining ourselves in relation to others. Uh, it's limiting. Uh, I think also this kind of the, the attitude of the inner critic uh, comes into play here. The third form of clinging to self is clinging to views, clinging to stories. You know, so um, what are the stories we tell about ourselves? We say, tell about who I am. Um, you know, so for example, uh, you know, I could have one bad experience doing something, like one bad experience speaking in public, and then it's, you know, I am a bad public speaker. You know, I, I am a person who's shy. You know, we take birth in this way. Or, you know, or we could have this story about ourselves. It's like, uh, people don't like me. And this can so color our experience of our life. Uh, you could have 10 experiences where some people come up to you and say, I really like you. Um, but then one person could come up and say, uh, you know what, I really don't like you. And then, you know, it just hooks in. It hooks into this sense of self. You know, so this can take birth in so many forms. Uh, I'm a great meditator. I'm a lousy meditator. I'm an American. I'm a, you know, so, so, and so. All these parts, these ways we, we form identity. We, we pick up an identity. And while these may have some truth, um, often they're not true at all. And, you know, they're just ideas. Um, but they limit us. They, they kind of box us in when we define ourselves this way. So this teaching of anatta, this teaching of not-self, is not meant to be something that's taken on faith. Um, It's meant to be a practice. It's meant to be a way of seeing. And so how can we practice this? I I would say the first thing is to recognize that this process of selfing is something that requires energy. It requires effort. It's like if you have a fist... And if you take a fist and you clench it, to keep it clenched, to keep it tight, you have to kind of keep, keep clenching it over and over again. Um, it's effort. It's work. And so something about when we slow down, we can actually see that, uh, that there's, an, there's an active process happening here. Um, to be creating ourselves and constantly kind of uh, defending, uh, promoting this sense of self is, um, is a burden. And so something about when we sit, you know, when we meditate, uh, can we relax that? Can we relax that's, that contracted perspective of self? Uh, so that's the first thing. 
The second thing I would say is, is something about having an attitude of respect, of deep respect uh, towards this impulse to make a self. Um, you know, I think there's something really important there. And there's something that, it's, it's kind of like, it's, our, it's our, our best way that we know how uh, to protect ourselves. So not, so not to use the fact that we have this, this, this sense of self that can sometimes be quite strong as another excuse for the inner critic, as another excuse um, you know, for a kind of self-judgment. Um, you know, it's the best way we know how to be safe, to have safety, to have security. And the third thing is um, something about approaching it through suffering. Um, when we sit, to notice the suffering, to notice the holding, the clinging, the contraction, um, you know, is there something painful about this way of being? Um, you know, and can we meet that with compassion? Can we meet that with kindness? So, you know, when, when we detect this stress, when we detect this suffering, it often manifests as, um, as resistance, as fear, as uh, anger, um, you know, shame. You know, these are all the marks of this selfing process. And what we do is uh, something about meeting it with kindness. And it's like this, it's like X marks the spot. This is where we put our cushion. This is where we sit. Um, you know, can we bring generosity? Can we bring compassion? Um, you know, so it's like uh, what we're doing here is, you know, we're not practicing in order to, uh, to eliminate the self or delete the self but we're also not practicing to improve the self, you know, uh, to have this be another self-improvement project, you know, or to fix the self. Uh, it's more about seeing and understanding how the sense of self uh, gets born moment by moment. Um, you know, so it's something about investigating that and can we find a sense of well-being or a sense of uh, something larger than this perspective of self uh, that we can rest in? It's like, you know, I think all, all of these words just come down to this, this one thing, which is that the sense of self is just a perspective. You know, it's, it's just one perspective. Um, and in moments, it will be present. In some moments, it will be um, very lightly held. And in some moments, it could be completely absent. Um, it, but if the sense of self is present, it's not, but if we're not clinging to it, it's not a problem.
what it's like. So if we think, if, you accept, if, we, <laughs> if we kind of accept this premise, if we think of the sense of self as a kind of contraction, uh, what is it that opens us? Um, what is it that releases and liberates this? Um, I think the suggestion of the Buddha, the suggestion of this practice, is a kind of moment-to-moment noticing, this moment-to-moment mindfulness. Um, you know, it's as we do this practice, moment-to-moment, the mindfulness gets stronger and the mindfulness gets more continuous and we can really see this process of self uh, being born and dying in each moment. Um, as we do this, as we sit with ourselves in this way, our capacity to be with our experience, it grows. Um, it's like this container uh, just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and there's this... You know, there can be this experience of this larger presence uh, that can hold us, that can hold everything. Um, and so, so in that way, however we are, however our self is, it doesn't need to be different. It doesn't need to be any different than the way it is. Um, you know, and, and we can come, somehow come to peace with that. You somehow rest in something that's bigger, finding a sense of wholeness, a sense of well-being, a sense of, of completion uh, in something bigger. I think I want to leave some time for questions and comments and, and, and talking about what you think about this. Um, so maybe I'll stop here, but I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to say a poem and uh, I opened my notebook and I found this one, which I thought was relevant. So uh, I think of this as the opposite of the contraction of self. Uh, this is Shapkar. I raised my head looking up and saw the cloudless sky. I thought of absolute space free from limits then experience the freedom without center, without end. So, so that's my thoughts on, on, how, on how we construct this, this sense of self. Uh, what do you think? What, what do you think of this? Questions, comments? We're going to bring a microphone.
I, I just enjoy your poem and would like to have you repeat it again, please, slowly. Ah, ah sure. That's all. So, I raised my head looking up and saw the cloudless sky. I thought of absolute space free from limits, then experienced a freedom without center, without end. I wanted to say a sort of uh, piece that's from like morning reflection on a meditative moment. Uh, fitting, fitting nicely, sitting halfway down, crossed and folded, but the dream's not stolen. Floating golden, stealthy, cramping corners, healthy for the first death of breath flourishing by the seconds. Slaughter that bottle of water after these cigarettes before I'm second-guessing the ethers reckoning and all these questions tethering me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Jeannie. And I thank you for your, for your um, observations and um, considerations. And I, uh, I can see where uh, myself, when you develop, as you're defining yourself, how it's constricting. Um, I think of a, a baby developing itself, becoming a person. So w- without a self, without what we call a self, or um, believing some things about this being, that it's very difficult, maybe impossible to function in the world. So I guess my question is, I see sometimes the suffering, but I don't always see the suffering. I, of it. Yeah. No, thank you. It's it's a great it's a great observation. Um, there there's this expression in that was popular in the in the, in the Buddhist scene. Um, you have to be a somebody before you can be a nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you may have heard that. But it, I think that's pointing to kind of what you're saying that whether we call that the self or a sense of relatedness or, or something, uh, it's so important to have to have that healthy development, you know. That the, the, and and so much of you know as um, you know as I start to uh, teach retreats and assist on meditation retreats and meet uh, meditators in uh, one-to-one interviews. One of the things that comes up a lot, so much, is that uh, something uh, from childhood, or so- something about the, that that healthy development, or that healthy sense of self, was somehow interrupted, and um, and and we can become stuck at that place. And so, yeah, so you know, it's like maybe someone, uh, you know, either it could be from a trauma, or it could be just from a sense of. Uh, of being abandoned or not being seen or something that interrupts that. And so uh, I think in this practice, for it to unfold, there has to be 
a certain kind of stability, you know, and some, you know, so you could call that the se- a self or a kind of a self or, or whatever, but a certain, a certain kind of stability, a certain, um, um, you know, a, a capacity to be able to, uh, you know, to tolerate when difficult things come up and, you know, and be able to kind of sit through them, allow them to pass through and process. And that's a really important part of practice. So it's like, you know, um, something about not being in a rush to get to, you know, not self, you know, it's just another, you know, it's like to really, um, you know, it's like in the meditation practice, sometimes you think it's like there's no mistakes in meditation. You know, whatever comes up is what, that's the request, is, is that's what's you know, to see. And often it's, it's ourself, you know, it's like we meet ourself. Um, so thank you. Hi, my name is Dawn. Thank you so much for your talk. Several things really resonated for me. And, um, I really like when you talked about meditation, not being a self-improvement project. You know, sometimes in my practice, I think, Exercise, check. (laughs) Connecting with people, check. Meditating, check. And I really love what you said because that's very powerful for me because that when, and and the idea of not, we're not trying to get rid of self. And and also you saying self is a perspective and it's our own unique perspective. We don't get rid of that. That's what we have. I really appreciate that because um, those moments when I can actually release and get rid of the thinking about possessions, thinking about comparing, thinking about all of that. That causes the most pain for me. And so those moments when I can absolutely release that, and currently I find that in two places, working with children and being with animals, is that I can ah, just release, and it's so great, and I feel so energized. So um, I just, again, I will take with me the fact that Meditation is not a self-improvement project, and it's not on my list to be checked yeah. off. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. So maybe, and then. So it seems to me that there are times that uh, difficult decisions need to be made and having a sense of self is important to know what to do. Or, it, or you see so many different perspectives that there's not a sense of self and decisions are just, like you said, stuck. So um, if you could speak a little bit more about that... <laughs> Because sure. uh, that's uh, that's a difficult concept for me to to grasp. Um, you know, so so one thing, just you know, just saying again, is like, I think uh, when we can see when we can see self as a perspective, um, we have flexibility, you know, and there are times when it's it's very appropriate. 
to pick up the language of self and to use the language of self, you know, ba- boundary issues. I mean, that's, that's one thing that just comes to mind. And, and it can be skillful and wise and appropriate to be using the language of self and saying, you know, you know, whatever it is, you know, and, and then there are times and there are decisions when uh, it may not be so helpful, you know, um, talking to a friend who has a problem, you know, if I keep referring things back to me or, well, you know, when I did that or, you know, well, let me tell you about, you know, and by the way, I've got this great thing, you know, it's like the request there is to be present in a way that's, you know, it's kind of like what you were saying about, you know, when we're um, that, that kind of generosity of, you know, focused on the, on the other person. Um, and then maybe self is not really needed. It's like that would be something extra. Um, that would be, um, or too much. It would be too much to kind of have that. Um, you know, so, so having that so, that, so I think the freedom, you know, and the freedom, uh, one way of thinking about this freedom from the, you know, the prison of the self or the tyranny of the self is not that we don't have a self anymore, but it's that we're free to pick up the self and put it down. We're free to pick up that perspective and put it down, you know, uh, in a skillful way. So I think maybe he first and then. My name's Chris, thank you. I appreciate the words you had to say. And I have had an experience this week. The notion of contraction always resonates for me. I know I'm entering higher level suffering when I experience a contraction. And I had an experience this week where I was dis-ease arose and I was uncomfortable. Uh, and I knew kind of the prompting event for it, but I wasn't exactly sure what I was experiencing. And after some reflection, I realized it was jealousy which is something that I don't experience all that frequently. So I had a difficult time figuring out what it was. And this was on, I think, Monday or Tuesday. So now as I've gone through the week, I've been reflecting back on it and just trying to figure out the most skillful way to respond to jealousy arising. And I've taken a couple of different stabs, and it's gone relatively well. but I'm curious to hear what your thoughts might be in relation to the self, because it certainly is that arises out of uh, the second condition, I think you, you mentioned. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, thank you for the question. Um, yeah, jealousy. I mean, <laughs> I think we can all relate to that. And, you know, so, so the first thing I would say is... Um, what I don't recommend is this, you know, sometimes we have this sense of like taking a scalpel to the parts of ourselves we don't w- want to have anymore, you know, and like cut that out. Um, and that maybe is not the, you know, it, it, it is not the most helpful um, attitude. Um, you know, so... I guess I would say, you know, the, the first thing is, and it sounds like what you've done, is to really recognize it for what it is and to see it. Um, I mean, that's really big. 
you know, if, you, you know, if for example, you didn't notice that jealousy had arisen, um, you might be much more likely to act out of it. You know, it's controlling you, you know, in a way. So you say something or do something or something that you might not, you know, do if you kind of were aware, aware that this is present. So to see it, to note it, um, you know, so something about, you know, being okay with it, I think. Something about acceptance, uh, meeting it, uh, you know, with, with compassion. Um, you know, this is what we do. We're, we're people, we get jealous, we get over it. It's like, you know, and, and it's really okay. Um, so something about that. Um, and then, I mean, if you're up for it, something about investigating, you know, um, what, you know, is there something that this is telling me about myself? Or is this, you know, is there something here? Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure I have a lot of examples of jealousy, but I'm trying to think of, uh, of a good example for this, of like, you know, we're just like being with other teachers, teacher trainees. Someone gets up and they ask someone to do a benediction. Someone gets up, and says this beautiful, you know, this, I mean, just pulls it out, just this, you know, beautiful little thing. And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, and there was a little bit of a, tw- a for, you know, it was beautiful, but there was a little like, hmm. And I could feel it. And it was a little bit of, it's like a little, you know, the heart just kind of, mm, a little bit. And I just was like, ah, ah, you know, okay, you know. So that too, you know, it's like, it's okay, it's okay. It's, uh, anyway, that's how I would, I don't know if that's helpful. <laughs> Thank you very much. So um, it seems to me that perhaps what I heard was... Can you hold the microphone more like this? Is that working? Okay. To me, it seems like what I heard was that there's a choice that you can make moment to moment, whether you want to solve yourself or not. (laughs) Um, And so I was wondering if that's... Uh, something along the lines of what you said. And the other question I had was, what's the relationship of self to the body? It seems like it's very much defined by the body and the different stages that your body is going through and how can you think of the not-self while you're still in this body? Great, great, great question. So the... You know, just for the, the first thing you said, um, it, it's not necessarily that we have a choice moment to moment, but, maybe, but what, I, what I was saying was that this, the self, this sense of self, is something that arises moment to moment. You know, and when, when we're moving around in the world and we're in our habitual ways, we don't see it. You know, we often don't see it until, you know, you feel this like twinge of jealousy or this, you know, embarrassment or something. And it's like, wow, you know, you really, you really feel it. Um, 
But it's like when we're very slow and very still, it's possible to see this self be born and die moment by moment. And so it's not this continuous thing. You know, we may think it's continuous, it's coherent, but it's actually something that comes into being moment to moment to moment. And the more continuous our mindfulness is, the more we can see that momentariness of it. Um, And where choice would come in uh, is, you know, uh, is if we have enough mindfulness to kind of, you know, choose to pick up the perspective of self in a particular way or not to, or to leave it. It's like, it's not needed. So that, your second question was about, um, oh, the body, the body. So this is one of the big things, and this is, you know, I maybe should have said more about this, but it's like um, one of the primary things we identify as ourself is the body. Um, And um, for a lot of reasons, I mean, it makes sense. Um, And so this is one area where the Buddha was very explicit in saying, uh, your body is not yourself, it's not self. Um, we don't own it. We can't control it. We kind of have some agency over it. But, you know, often the Buddha talked about the self in sense of having a sense of ownership or the sense of permanence. The body, we don't own it, and it's not permanent, right? You know, it's, it's always changing. Um, and, you know, if my body were myself, then, you know, is it my six-year-old, my, myself, my body as a six-year-old, my body as a 20-year-old, you know, um, it, it's impermanent. So, but we see it as self. We cling to it as self. So this is, and we suffer because of this. This is one of the primary ways we suffer. So it's, it's a big, uh, one of the big requests of practice is, is it possible to uh, unentangle, you know, our, ourselves, our, you know, our, our being or our sense of identity from this body, you know, um, and it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy, but it's a, that's, it's a great question. Uh, maybe push the. It looks like it. Uh, press the button. Oh, press the button. Okay, now, now, okay, I didn't press the button. <laughs> um, oh, there we go. Yes. Okay. Um, I believe that you know the self is very illusionary, but often I've heard about like the true self. Or the Buddha nature? Is that something permanent or something that I could... Sometimes I think I, I access my true self. But, you know, according to philosophy, that's an illusion. But, you know, you hear a lot about the true self. Yeah, that's the whole topic of next week. <laughs> but, but I'll give you a... <laughs> I don't want to preempt myself, but um, it's a great question. It's... Um, You 
you know, so one of the things that I want to talk about next week is, um, is there a true self? And there are different ways of looking at that question. Um, um, And even within Buddhism, different schools of Buddhism think about it in different ways. You know, um, this idea, you know, in Zen, sometimes they talk about this idea of Buddha nature. You know, so everyone has Buddha nature, which is, which is basically emptiness or, you know, or uh, emptiness and awareness or something. Um, you know, from the perspective of this school, um, there, there's nothing that we can, that we can call a true self. That is, is the nothing that's... <laughs> well, yeah, it's like one time I asked a, a, a Zen teacher in Japan, I said, um, everything is impermanent, so what's permanent? And he said, impermanence. <laughs> so, go figure. So, um, but it's a great question. And in meditation, sometimes we can touch into experiences that... F- that feel like this is my true self, and this is so. Um, it's a question of, um, you know, from from the point of view of of, of this of this style of, of understanding, it's like there's nothing, not even awareness, not even you know the last bastion of self, you know, awareness or consciousness uh, can be called a self. Um, so, um, and then I mean, and then there's the question of well, what when you drop when you drop this, you, you experience this freedom. Who's experiencing it? What's experiencing it? And I mean, I think that's a question that's that it, 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 <laughs> as good as a hold. You know, it's the only answer is the experience of it. You know. So, thank you. Is there, is there one more? Is there, is there? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Hi, my name is Allie. Um, I wanted to ask about um, in your experience with your travels and your studies. Um, I guess if if there is or what there is uh, in terms of the impact of culture on this. Um, yeah. I just was thinking about, right, in our culture, supposedly we're very individualistic and materialistic and all these things, and I just was wondering if you could speak to that for a little bit. It's a great question, and I think it's like, um, I've spent uh, some time in in Asia, and um, what, what what I realize is that the sense of self is so culturally conditioned, you know, um, in Japan, for example, a speaker begins by apologizing, <laughs> you know, and it's, there's something about elevating, you know, to elevate myself apart from the group is a big deal, you know, and it's, and it's a, just this different sense of self rather than in this culture, I think, where we, you know, maybe we're the other extreme and we kind of glorify uh, individuality you know, be yourself, you know, um, do it your way, do it, you know, what is it, Burger King, have it, have it my way, or do something, you know, have it your way, you know, 
just good luck trying to order something in Japan and getting it different from the way it is on the menu. I mean, it's like a, you know, can I have that on the side? And like, what? You know, well, it comes together. It's like, I know, well, can I just have it on the side? It's like, what? <laughs> you know, it's like you're, you're asking for something special, some special treatment or, or something. Whereas here, it's like, it's like that's the norm. You know, we're all just individuals, a collection of individuals. Um, and I, so, so the sense of self, I think, is so culturally conditioned. It's a great, it's a, it's a great, um, it's a great observation. And it's like, and it goes, it goes right along with this. It's like, you know, it's something that that arises out of conditions, you know. So not to, you know, not to see. It's like this is the way it always is. It has to be. Um, you know, when we travel a little bit, we see that. You know, there's so many different ways of of being a person. Um, so, so thank you very much. So I think we're out of time. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good night. <laughs>